0: is another episode of the BMJ STI podcast series. My name is Fabiola Martin and I'm the podcast editor and sexual health and HIV specialist based in Brisbane. I'm also a researcher at School of Public Health at the University of Queensland. Today we'll focus on presumptive and prophylactic management of bacterial STIs. It is a pleasure to discuss this issue with Dr. Manoji Guthilake. Head of Sexual Health Services in Darwin, Australia, and Assistant Professor Will Nutland, Director of the NGO The Love Tank in London, UK. Hello and welcome. Manoji, you are based in Darwin in the Northern Territory. Would you please tell us a little bit about your scope of work? Thank you,
1: Fabiola. I am a Senior Specialist in Sexual Health Medicine and the Head of Sexual Health and Bloodborne Virus Unit at the Centre for Disease Control in Darwin, leading the sexual health services here. I also provide clinical expertise to other clinicians working in sexual health across the Northern Territory of Australia
0: with involvement in teaching and
1: research.
0: Fantastic, thank you and welcome. And hi, Will, we are connecting with you in London. Could you tell us a little bit about your responsibilities?
2: Hi, Fabiola. I'm Will Nutland. I'm an honorary assistant professor at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. I'm also the co-director of an NGO called The Love Tank, which addresses the health and well-being of underserved communities across the UK. We focus on sexual health inequalities, and I've worked on a community survey researching the extent of STI, PEP and PrEP usage in the UK.
0: Thank you, Will, and welcome. Welcome. Manoji, if I may ask you a few questions first, could you please tell us about the demographics of your patients and the prevalence of bacterial STIs in Darwin?
1: We provide care to many people from Northern Territory, as well as travellers and migrants from various regions of Australia and overseas. About 30% of our population in Northern Territory are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians which is the highest proportion of any Australian state or territory. We see highest rates of bacterial STIs in Australia with notification rates for chlamydia at about 2,800 per 100,000 population, followed by gonorrhea around 1,600, and for infectious syphilis at 205 per 100,000 population. Disease burden in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians is higher than non-Indigenous people.
0: Thank you. And do the existing Australian clinical guidelines support presumptive treatment of bacterial STIs, so treating without having the test results back, and how do you apply this in your daily practice? Yes,
1: Fabiola, guidelines certainly do same day and presumptive treatment is supported depending on the type of bacterial infection. We always follow a test and treat approach where appropriate investigations for STIs are performed before providing the same day treatment. For example, guidelines support the immediate treatment for syphilis in clients presenting with genital ulcers with risk factors. Presumptive treatment resolves symptoms and reduces the period of infectiousness in many people. It also reduces the incidence of adverse outcomes such as congenital syphilis by reducing the risk of mother to child transmission. Such treatment is quite useful for regional and remote populations who have poor access to medical care and when it is quite hard for patients to reattend. but we can get it wrong too. As you know, many STIs are asymptomatic and there are no symptoms or signs for us to assume a potential infection. Additionally, a diagnosis purely based on medical history and physical examination can be wrong. A recent audit performed in far North Queensland in Australia demonstrated that only 21% of presentations were accurately treated with presumptive treatment at the screen and treat appointments. On the other hand, we are concerned about over-treating uninfected people with antibiotics, promoting antibiotic resistance, which is a public health threat. For example, it is important not to provide presumptive treatment for mycoplasma genitalium, since it is often resistant to first-line treatment. In summary, presumptive treatment is available, but we need to be selective about its use.
0: That's right. And do you see a role for presumptive treatment of contacts through index cases? My main approach is
1: to test and treat patients and to offer partners a comprehensive screening and management too. But due to the previously mentioned access issues, we have guidelines to treat contacts of infectious syphilis and gonorrhea, and to provide patient-delivered partner therapy for chlamydia in the Northern Territory and some other jurisdictions in Australia. This approach allows clinicians to provide antibiotic treatment for both the index case and their sexual partners for chlamydia infection. This is a useful harm reduction strategy but it is not suitable when the index patient has multiple sexually transmitted infections. It can be quite challenging in situations when there are
0: unnamed or anonymous contacts. Thank you, Manuji. So essentially there are some options, but you have to be very careful who should access this type of treatment and who should be asked to treat their partners remotely. Coming now to a different aspect of our podcast, you will know of the recent US data presented in Montreal at the 24th AIDS conference by Connie Salium's team. I mean, you know about Connie. She is a giant in the field of uh, STI prevention. They talked about a trial that they had to prematurely terminate. The trial is on a single dose of antibiotic doxycycline 200, which is taken within 72 hours post-exposure, referred to as post-exposure prophylaxis or short PEP, and this is after condomless sex, and the trial participants were men who have sex with men and transgender women. Doxycycline is a tetracycline antibiotic. Surprisingly, the clinical trial was aborted prematurely since even preliminary analysis showed a significant reduction in bacterial STI incidence, that is gonorrhea, chlamydia and syphilis in people who were randomised to take doxycycline after exposure. A reduction in the incidence of bacterial STIs by more than 60% was reported, which is impressive and significant. There is currently a similar trial conducted in Kenya where women on HIV PrEP, that is HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, are randomized to receive doxycycline as post-exposure, so PEP. And another non-randomized observational study in Australia is currently investigating doxycycline 100 milligrams daily as a pre-exposure prophylaxis, PrEP, in men who have sex with men and transgender women. Again, this is to reduce the incidence in gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. So, watch your space, please. DoxyPep and PrEP in the pipeline, potentially. So, Will, may I ask you what do we know about people's attitudes towards PEP and PrEP for prevention of bacterial STIs? Many people are already buying it over the counter.
2: So, the community survey that we did in 2019 showed us that around one in 10 of HIV PrEP users in the UK had also used antibiotics as prophylaxis against STIs in the past. A second acceptability survey showed that both STI PrEP and STI PEP are broadly acceptable to men who have sex with men if they are shown to be safe and effective. Now, in our survey of those who had used antibiotics to prevent STIs in the past, about one in three men were taking a single dose of STI PEP rather than a daily long-term STI PrEP, possibly suggesting that these men are more willing to take fewer doses of medicine after sex than more medicine before sex on an ongoing basis. Most of the men in our surveys obtained their DoxyPep or PrEP privately, and we're usually often buying it online.
0: Mm. I imagine that some patients may not disclose using antibiotics prophylactically to their healthcare providers. In your opinion, what are the barriers to using bacterial STI prevention treatments such as antibiotics safely?
2: So first, our survey tells us about a quarter of those using antibiotics in this way were not using doxycycline. And this raises concerns for us as to whether the men are mistakenly using the correct medicines. Uh, many men were using these antibiotics without any medical advice or support, so are not necessarily informed about potential drug-to-drug interactions if they're also taking other medications. I think the key barrier to disclosure to their doctors about their self treatment is a fear that men are going to be scolded or judged, or that they may have misinformed information by talking to their health providers about using antibiotics in this way. Ideally, we should be able to work with healthcare professionals to openly discuss bacterial STI prophylaxis so patients can open up to their doctors about over the counter self treatments.
0: Yes, I agree with you, of course. I know of several healthcare providers that are reviewing the recent research and publications and discussing these outcomes with their patients. Uh, We also know that the community and healthcare providers are worried about antibiotic stewardship. As you know, doxycycline is now the first-line treatment for chlamydia in Australia, UK, and USA and the latest grass surveillance study based in UK showed that tetracycline resistance in England and Wales is at about 65% and the trend is rising so monitoring background rates of tetracycline resistance and sensitivity if doxypep is implemented clinically will be very important well thank you very much this is a fascinating conversation Manoji, do you have a take-home message for our listeners? Yes, Fabiola,
1: I have three, if you don't mind. (laughs) Number one, always test for resistance before you treat gonorrhea. Number two, retest pregnant women for syphilis, especially if they are still at exposure risk, and never treat mycoplasma presumptively.
0: Great. Good messages. And Will, do you have a take home message for us?
2: Yes. So my take home message is that we should be encouraging health providers to talk without judgment to the people that they are seeing about using antibiotics uh, prophylactically and to be able to guide and support these patients better. And also we should be able to monitor antibiotic resistance within the community.
0: Yes, thank you and I agree. So we have arrived at the end of our podcast. Will and Manoji, many thanks for your time, effort and passion to help us shine a bright light on antibiotics used presumptively or as post-exposure prophylaxis in sexual health medicine. Also many thanks to our listeners. I'm Fabiola Martin and here with me today are Manoji Guthilake, the head of sexual health services, Darwin, and Will Nutland, the director of the NGO, The Love Tank. Please enjoy the blog and relevant links to the aforementioned clinical trials associated with this podcast, which has been prepared by my astute colleague, Dr. Harrison Austin. Do follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and your preferred listening apps, and send us your comments. We will be back soon with another interesting podcast for you prepared by our fantastic BMJ SDI podcast team. For now, goodbye and stay safe.